0: Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church, located in Kenmore, New York. In this sermon, the sixth in the series Galatians The Case for Christian Liberty, Pastor Justin looks at the danger of becoming a hypocrite, basing our salvation on anything other than faith alone, grace alone, and in Christ alone. Let's open our Bibles together and stand as we read Galatians 2, 11 through 16. Galatians two eleven through sixteen. Uh, for this passage, sometimes it's a little confusing because we just know that the name Cephas is also Peter. It's his Aramaic name, so if that helps to clarify things a little bit. Hear now the word of the Lord. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. live like a Gentile and not a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So also we have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as we come to your word once again, may it fill us, may it consume our passions and our senses, may you intellectually save us, but Lord, most of all, fill our soul. Fill our soul with a desire to get to know you more, to be more aligned with you and your word. Please help us to understand this passage today in your name. Amen. Let's have a seat. In 1988, for those of you who were around then, there was a group of Hollywood directors. They got together, they were testifying in front of Congress, actually advocating that Congress would pass legislation to protect the integrity of movies. Oh man, that's something you gotta protect, right? Yeah, they actually they were promoting what was called the National Film Preservation Act. And at the core of this was this idea, they said, we're worried that our classic movies will someday in the future be taken and will be transformed, will be modified, will be ruined by other people, so we want you to preserve them. And so one of the people who got up in Congress to testify was a certain director named George Lucas, who you might not know as the guy who kind of created Star Wars, which is a bit of a big thing these days. Well, Lucas took the stand and he gave a speech then, and he strongly denounced anybody who would use advanced technology to replace characters in movies, change scenes, or modify original films. Less than 10 years later, George Lucas turned around and started ruthlessly altering Star Wars with advanced technology that replaced characters, changed scenes, and modified these classic films. Now, this is not a big beef from me. I'm not going to get up here and say the special editions were the worst thing to ever happen. But Han Solo shot first, and I will die on that hill, right? But I think we can see that George Lucas kind of became, in that moment, a bit of a hypocrite. You said one thing, and you believed one thing, and then you turned around, and you did exactly the opposite as textbook definition. Today, we're going to look at a hero of the faith, one of the big figures of the New Testament, Peter, and we're going to look how he fell into hypocrisy, even as a leader of the church. And if Peter, an apostle, a church leader, one of the authors of two books of the New Testament, if he could stumble in this way, I think it's safe to say we probably can as well. We probably have. Maybe we are even right now. But if God had a plan to correct Peter and restore Peter, the good news is he does for us as well. So let's look at this today. Over the past couple of weeks, we've looked at how Paul, as he's writing to the Galatians, he's trying to help them navigate this really bad situation that they're in in their church. Paul's been using a trio of testimonies, of stories from his past. And so we've looked at two of them already, and we've looked at how He's brought, he went down to Jerusalem, and he said, the first time I went down, I wanted to make sure that I and everybody in Jerusalem, we were preaching the same gospel. Then the second trip down, he brought Titus along with them. He wanted to make sure that Jewish or Gentile Christians were saved by grace alone, that there wasn't some other gospel that saved them as well. But for this third testimony, this final testimony, he takes from his past, out of this, out of the closet. He takes a skeleton from churches. You know, it's a bit of a controversy. It's a bit of a scandal. He says, I want to just share that with you right now. Because even though it's uncomfortable, even though it involves a pretty big figure in the church, it can help you. It can help you in the situation that you're in. It can help us to understand that even the most seasoned followers of Jesus can sometimes act like hypocrites. Well, now Paul shares this time. He says that the church's head honcho, the apostle Peter, comes up and visits him at Antioch. So the first two times are stories where he went down to Jerusalem. Now people are coming to visit him. That's a good time. And we actually know what happened right before this trip because if you actually have your Bibles open, you could go to Acts chapter 10. And right before this trip that Paul refers to where Peter goes up to Antioch, right before then, Peter has a vision from God. And during this vision, it's, it's this, this giant net that comes down and picks up all these animals from the sea. And God says, now all of them are clean to eat. And Peter understands that through this revelation that God is telling him that now there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There are no separate camps when it comes to salvation. All is, all is permissible. All are accepted. All are saved. So they're saved by grace. So he gets this revelation, Peter does, And right afterwards, he goes up to Antioch. And he takes it to heart. Let's not cut Peter short. Let's not deal him worse than we need to today. Peter does take this to heart. And when he goes up to Antioch and he meets with all these Gentile Christians, to his credit, he sits down with them. He eats with them. He fellowships at a table with them. And that's a big moment. But Paul says this right here in verse 12. Now, you might not think... Who cares who I eat with? I mean, today after the service, we're going to go out there, eat together. You're going to eat with some pretty disreputable people, let me tell you. It's going to be pretty scandalous. But back in antiquity, who you ate with, who shared your table, was a big deal. That meant you associated with them. You accepted them. They were part of your fellowship. And so for Peter to sit down with these Gentile Christians and extend that hand of fellowship meant a lot. It was making a statement. He was saying, I accept you. You are one of us Christians. We are all one party. We are all one family. Scandalous. That's why people were a little bit uh, taken aback when Jesus sat down and fellowshiped at a table with those tax collectors and public sinners. In Mark chapter 2, they're saying, Jesus, are you associating with these people? And in one sense, yes, he absolutely was. He was taking on their identity as sinners. So this is a big deal here. We've got a very well-known Jewish Christian who's now hobnobbing with Gentile Christians, sharing their meals, accepting them into his circle. So what's the problem? Well, the problem arises when there's a follow-up delegation of Peter, Peter's gone ahead to Antioch, and now there's this delegation that follows him up the road to come to Antioch, and there are other Jewish Christians. And during this, Paul falls into the trap of peer pressure, of being a people-pleaser. We talked about that a while ago, didn't we? Being a people-pleaser. He knows that this group, this delegation that comes up, is not people like him, that, that he has just received this vision from God. He's just gotten on board with this idea that Gentiles and Jews are both saved by grace. But this group coming up from Jerusalem, they are the circumcision party. That doesn't mean they're going around with a pair of scissors, doing that, not that sort of thing. They believe that if you are to be a Christian, you need to be circumcised. You need to be brought into the Jewish culture. You need to do all these traditions and all these ceremonies to be a proper Christian. And so when this delegation arrives, the text tells us here, Peter was genuinely afraid of this party. Now again, we can be pretty harsh on him for that. But there are people we're afraid of, especially when it's a group and there's just one of us. And we can feel that pressure to want to fit in, that pressure to conform, that pressure to maybe even stay silent. When some other people are saying things you know to be objectively untrue. And so Peter says he was scared of now being seen as fellowshipping with these uncircumcised, unclean Gentile Christians. So he draws back from eating with them. I think that's where the real blow, it's not that he got up there and he says, I'm not going to have anything to do with you. So he got up there, he says, I absolutely want to have everything to do with you until my friends from Jerusalem come. At which point, I'm going to send you Gentile Christians to go eat at the kids' table while we proper Jewish Christians sit at the real Thanksgiving table, right? Obviously, I'm working through some issues of having sat at the kids' table a little too much when I was a kid. But you always felt lesser, right? That's why kids don't want to sit at that table. You feel not accepted, not really part of the cool group. And that's how they're making them feel. Peter hasn't abandoned in this moment, I think this is a mistake we could make, that we think he's abandoned his conviction about Gentile Christians. He hasn't. He still believes they're saved by grace. He still accepts them. The problem is he's now acting contrary to what he believes. And that is what we call hypocrisy. When you act or you play act something that you don't truly believe. Another way to put it is, you put a mask over your faith. You're hiding who you really are because it's more socially acceptable to be something else, to fit in. Maybe you're afraid. Maybe you're embarrassed. Maybe you're pressured. Maybe you're just a little lazy and you've fallen into old habits. Whatever it is, you put a mask on and you're now acting in a different way than what you believe. If I take my... I can't get it off. Some days you can, some days you can't. If I take my wedding ring off, And then I go to a bar, and I start flirting with some other women. I'm a hypocrite. I may affirm my marriage at home. I may believe it in my heart. I might tell my wife, I love you. But the second I take that wedding ring off and go acting in a way that's contrary to what I believe, I become a hypocrite. I become disloyal to my wife and my home. I become dishonest. So yes, we're looking at Peter here, we're looking at his failing, but Paul is using it to really ask the Galatians and ask us to reflect on our lives. Not really to put Peter down so much, as use him as an example to reflect upon our own hypocrisy. Are we hypocrites? Have we been hypocrites in our life? We've all done this. We've all slipped into old sins because it's so comfortable to go back some days. We've all been in a group of non-Christians around us and they say something or they do something that's against our faith. And we just find it easier to either go along with the crowd or laugh uncomfortably or you know, maybe even join in a little bit. Sometimes we have not practiced what we preach. We're not bold for the gospel the way that we know we should be. Hypocrisy puts a mask over our faith so others won't know better. Peter did not want them to know, this Jewish delegation did not want them to know that he fellowshipped in a very accepting way with Gentile Christians. And Paul sees that. Are we being hypocritical? Do we wear different masks? Are we ashamed of the gospel? These are things we need to really have a profound, introspective conversation with ourselves, because sometimes other people can't see it. We know it, and we can see it. We need to have periodic points of reflection in our life. We go, where am I being hypocritical in my faith, in my walk with Christ right now? How can I take that mask off? Well, one of my biggest pet peeves is when celebrities act like they're not role models, that they claim to just absolve themselves of being a role model once and for all. You know, just because I'm popular doesn't mean I'm a role model. I'm sorry, you're popular, you're famous. If you have a lot of cameras on you and a microphone in your face, you're a role model whether you want to be or not. The only question is, are you a role model worth emulating or not? NBA star Charles Barkley once famously said, just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. And that was his way of absolving himself of actually being a role model worth emulating. A good role model can inspire other people and encourage other people and be the kind of person other people want to grow up to be. But alternatively, a hypocritical role model can help others fall into the same hypocrisy. Paul continues here in this passage in verse 13 to say that after Peter was there and that the Jewish delegation got up there and Peter started to shun the Gentiles, it said the other Jews joined him in the hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. In this situation, we look at what could have happened, that Peter could have held firm to this vision that God had just given him a couple of weeks before. He could have held firm to, he could have been a, a front runner, taken the initiative, said, you know, use this as a teaching lesson, that the Jewish Christians come up and he just stands firm for these Gentile Christians. He says, listen, They are our brothers and sisters and we are to treat them as such. But instead, he crumbles out of fear. And other people who look up to Peter, which is a lot of people because he was leading the church at that point, they notice. And they not only notice, they start doing the same thing. You see how hypocrisy infects and spreads? It's not something you can just keep to yourself. You are setting an example for anybody who looks up to you. And it's often more people than you understand. The Bible says that even Barnabas, a man that we know being described as full of grace, full of the Holy Spirit, he gets in on the hypocrisy too. And he joins that. All parents know full well how kids copy our behavior. And it's often very amusing to me, sometimes a little disheartening to me, When I see kids copying the behavior of their parents, it really matters how their parents are, right? You can be a great role model to your kids. And you can have like a playful heart. You can be generous to others. You can always be helping other people. And your kids will notice that and they will copy it. And they will start putting it into their life. But it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because also your kids see when you have a short temper. And they see when you fail. They see your selfishness. They see that time I hit my toe on the edge of the sofa and I introduced some colorful new words to my kids' vocabulary, right? It spreads. Hypocrisy spreads and we can't afford to be hypocrites in our own households and we can't afford to be hypocrites in our church because that stuff goes everywhere and starts spreading. By verse 14, you think that's as bad as it gets? It gets worse. It gets worse in this situation. Paul says that this delegation from Jerusalem even started forcing the Gentiles to act like Jews. They said, start doing our customs. We're going to twist your arm. We're going to turn that peer pressure, this authority we have over the church, because now we've got Peter on our side and Barnabas on our side, and we want to force you to take up all these Jewish customs and start acting the way we think you should act. See how dangerous that is? The Christians at Antioch had to become increasingly miserable. They were ecstatic when Peter got there, like we're one of them. This guy, this superstar of the Christian faith is accepting us and loving us. And now we're shunned, and now all these other people are shunning us unless we act like them. Imagine how miserable that makes anybody feel when they come into a situation they think they're initially accepted, and now they're being forced to change. What do we tell people when you start dating somebody, you can't change the person you're dating? Don't marry somebody and expect to change them. You're going to be in for a miserable life and you're going to make them miserable too. That's why hypocrisy is so dangerous for the believer. We may believe or think in our hearts that, well, what I'm doing, it might be bad, but at least it's just me. At least it's just affecting just me. But really, it's affecting everybody, everybody around you. We don't see that person who looks up to us, who starts copying our words, copying our behavior, treating other people the way we treat them. And one by one, a case of hypocrisy can spread throughout an entire church. So we need to be on guard, not just for our own lives and our own selves, but how we affect other people in the church with our hypocrisy we can find ourselves starting to treat some people in the church like second-class citizens, that we can divvy people up in our minds, that these are the people that deserve my love and my respect, and these are the choir. You know, they're over here. No, I'm just kidding. They're right here in front of me. These are the other people, the others, that I want to shun, that I want to treat less. Maybe we have some people, we start to be selective with our care and our attention. Maybe through that through that hypocrisy, we start spreading gossip and sour attitudes, and we start stinking up the joint. Maybe we can stand there judging others. that that person doesn't dress as well as I do. That person isn't singing as loud as I am. That person hasn't done as many good deeds as I've done. And we start judging those around us instead of loving them. Or we can nix that behavior at its root. And that's what Peter or Paul is driving at. We sometimes need outside help to do that. Somebody to point out, in love, we're being hypocrites. I know you love Jesus, but you're not acting that way right now. For this situation at Antioch, Paul stands up, he's had enough, and he openly rebukes Peter and the entire delegation. One thing I love about Paul, like him or hate him, this guy is not scared of anybody. And he will stand up and he will tell you the truth, even if it makes him the most unpopular person in the room. And probably he was getting a lot of glares at this moment. He's even probably had a lot of temptation to stay quiet. I mean, after all, he's a Jewish Christian. He's at the big table, right? He's being accepted. He's like, oh man, Peter's here? You know, I like that Peter guy. I want to make sure I'm still in his good graces. We have a ministry partnership that was started up. I don't want to get on their bad side. But instead... He's bold and courageous and speaks up. But what I want to look at here, finally, is how does Paul do this? How does he confront Peter? Because there's a lesson in, for all of us Christians. When we see somebody we need to confront, we may even need to rebuke. There are great ways to go about it, and there are not so great ways. How does, how does uh, Paul do this? Does he bluntly tell Peter, like get in his face, say, man, we got, these guys have to sit with us at the table. What you're doing is wrong. they got to sit at our table. That's that. This is my church. You can accept it my way or the highway. Attitude like that. Does he try to shame Peter? Say, man, I cannot believe a guy like you would give in to peer pressure. A guy like you would be scared? How dare you? He doesn't do any of that. But rather, Paul takes a really humble stance. And his whole attitude is this. He targets the core issue rather than the symptoms, by humbly reminding Peter what the gospel is all about. He says, Peter, I love you. Let's look at the gospel. Let's look at what the gospel teaches and be reminded of that. So that's what he goes into in verse 15. He says, we who are Jews by birth, we, he's talking about us Jewish Christians right here, and not these these sinful Gentiles over here, know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by that faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by the works of the law, no one will ever be justified. He's really driving home this point. It may seem a little redundant, a little repetitive, but really he got to get across this point. We are not saved by anything you are, anything you do, anybody you're related to. You're solely saved By faith alone. And that's why he holds up the gospel here. He says, listen, we know we Jews are saved by faith in Christ alone. But these Gentiles are saved by Christ in faith alone, through faith alone. So if we're saved by faith and they're saved by faith, why is there any difference between any of us? The gospel is what unites us. The gospel is what brings us into unity with Jesus Christ. That's why we don't have you know, segregated portions of the church. We should never have that. But it's inevitable for us to get off track in our Christian living. Hypocrisy never boldly announces itself to you and says, ding dong, hi, I'd like you to be hypocritical this week. Do you mind if I come in? It never does that, right? It just kind of slides its way into your life until one day you kind of wake up and you realize, I'm really not living the gospel-centered life that God created me to, to live. So to get back on track, we've got to go back to the gospel. We've got to do what Paul is doing here, reminding Peter of the gospel, holding up the gospel and just reminding ourselves what it means for us, why you're saved, how you're saved, and what does it mean for the way you live right now. Think of the simple, beautiful truth of the gospel of Christ kind of like wearing braces. Who had to wear braces on their teeth in their life? Let's see some hands right here. All right, you join with me. I had the snaggliest bunch of teeth that you've ever seen. You know how they took the plaster of your teeth beforehand to show you, you know, like afterwards? My teeth were just like, they, it's like they, they got lost along the way, and they were pointing every direction. I got braces on, worn for three years, and slowly, gradually, those braces brought my teeth into alignment with each other. And that's what braces do. This is what the gospel does. Slowly, inevitably brings us into alignment, not just with other Christians, but with Christ. Because when we're sinners, we're not in alignment with Christ. Christ is over here. We're running as far in the other direction as humanly possible. But the gospel slowly, inevitably brings us into alignment. And when we start to get out of alignment, when hypocrisy comes into our life, for example, we need to go back to the gospel so that we can be corrected back to Christ. The Holy Spirit uses the gospel over and over again for that purpose. You know who really loved this passage of Scripture? Martin Luther. He loved it. He said this, It is a great comfort for us as Christians to hear that even great saints sin. It's a comfort to hear this. No man has ever fallen so grievously that he could not have stood up again. If Peter fell, I may fall, and if Peter got back up, I may too stand. I love that, because this is not a passage about making you feel guilty about hypocrisy in your life. It's about giving you hope that when you have fallen, when you are fallen, you can get right back up. Because if Peter got back up, and he course corrected, and he did, we can go on into the book of Acts, and see at the Council of Jerusalem when this question of Gentiles and Jews and and who's saved and that whole question got solved, he made the right choice. He stood boldly for the gospel and he did not make the mistake of falling back into hypocrisy at that point. Peter stood back up through the grace of Jesus Christ. We can stand back up. So my encouragement for you is this. Even though Halloween is next week, let's take our masks off. Let's not be hypocrites. Let's not hide our faith. Let's not act contrary to what we believe. But well, let's go back to the gospel to be reminded of what we believe and to come into alignment with Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to praise your name and thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. It is a very convicting passage. that forces us to look deep into our lives, to acknowledge the Lord, we have been hypocrites, every single person in this room, myself included. Lord, we have fallen short of your glory. We have believed in you, and yet, Lord, we have not spoken up enough. We have not been consistent in our faith walk. Lord, help us. Help us to return to the gospel. Forgive our sins. But, Lord, past forgiving us, help us to live the right way. And all God's people said. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. You can listen to other sermons on our website, at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. To reach out to Knox Church, or request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. Write to us at Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York 14217. Our YouTube channel can be found by searching for Knox Church Kenmore on YouTube. Thank you again for joining us.